You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner and CEO of Seattle-based wealth management company, Empirical Wealth Management. Today I have a special guest with me. Ethan Broga is not here. I have Certified Financial Planner and partner of Empirical Wealth Management, Michael Van Sant. Good afternoon, Michael. Great to see you. Good to see you too, Mike. It's always a pleasure working with you. Yeah, you uh, as well. Whether... Looking forward to the show today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know you're going to turn in a top row performance, as usual. This is all for Mike. <laughs> and today on the show, Mike, uh, I thought we would talk a little bit about uh, the current market up, market update and then talk a little bit about an article that was passed to me from one of our advisors um, about CE, CGM Focus Fund. And Ken Hebner had a phenomenal track record and just a few years ago was was uh, accoladed as one of the top managers in the world and now um, has seen a rapid uh, rush of money out of his funds and has earned the the uh, high rating of a single star from Ooh. from our favorite rating company Morningstar so I thought we hmm. can talk about that right and do it in the context of why empirical does not use traditional active managers and um how I think we can help you to make smarter decisions around the way you pick your investments definitely, um, and put that into context for you. So before we start with the market update and a little bit of that information, Mike, do you want to give our listeners a little bit of uh, information about what we do here, how we can help individual investors and also advisors, and then the appropriate contact information? Yeah, I'd love to. So here at Empirical Wealth Management, uh, we are a fee-only fiduciary advisor that provides holistic, comprehensive, personal financial uh, financial planning and investment guidance. Our contact information, our phone number is 866-472-5790. Once again, 866-472-5790. And our email address is contact at imperradio.com, and that's contact at E-M-P-I-R-A-D-I-O dot com. Love to hear from you uh, and help you start making a lifetime of smarter financial decisions today. If you're an advisor out there, we'd love to uh, find the best of you and help uh, work with you uh, work with you on our team. Sounds good, Mike. Sounds good. So let's take a quick look here. Uh, today, it was an interesting market, as it always is. Every day. It's a wild ride. Never know where and, it's going. Um, yeah, I mean... It's it's interesting how the market can be so fickle based on daily news. Definitely, and that daily news doesn't necessarily uh, mean that it is attached to the reality of the market fundamentals, but it's people's interpretation, in my view, Mike, mm-hmm. of what will happen in the future, mm-hmm. and that changes their the positive to negative uh, sentiment, but it doesn't necessarily change much about what the current value of a particular stock is um, and what they have uh, in terms of earnings and or uh, book value in the company. And uh, is one, one other quick thing here today, besides being up 200 points, um, 
Facebook uh, shares. You know, we talked about it pretty extensively leading into the IPO. Mm-hmm. And the advice we gave, if if you were pulling us out of our own vault segment, is, hey, that's where we put things in the vault and then later pull them out to see how well that advice paid off. Well, our advice was, first of all, you should never be buying individual stocks, in our opinion. Yeah. So we would avoid it just because of that. We wouldn't have bought it. It wouldn't have wound up in our client portfolios because we don't go out and target individual stocks. We can target entire groups of stocks. Mm-hmm. We think that is a much better way to harness the power that capital markets provide over the long run. Someone might question that word power right now because we've had very tough market returns in recent years. But over the last decade, even if you'd had a very globally diversified portfolio, you really did harness the power of capital markets mm-hmm. and substantially beat uh, inflation yeah. and um, and many other conservative portfolios that could have been constructed. Mm-hmm. Over that last 12-year period or so, um, which has been probably in the media, would present it as a pretty difficult period of time. Definitely, definitely. So anyway, I just thought it was interesting, and I noticed in in after-hours trading, Mike, Facebook is trading about uh, 24 right now. Um, I think in regular trading it was down, and then it was down to like 26 at the Yahoo Finance here. Now it's 24. Well, that's almost the low, low, we're bumping on the low point, uh, of where that stock has traded. I think it got to, just looking right now, Mike, actually. And, uh, this is real time. Yeah, it looks like it hit 25 back in, uh, June. So it came out, I think, in, in May. Um, remember it came out about 38? Yep. yep. $38 a share. Um, and if we were to just compare that against, over the same time period uh, against the S&P. Let's just, I don't know, just for fun. Why yeah. don't we do it for fun? That, that, is, huh? that is the kind of fun we have. I mean, are we having some fun times in here, Mike? I, I wish we had a sound effect for it. Well, if you wait long enough, Mike, <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you wait long enough, uh, you ask and you will receive. That's why it's so fun to work um, here. And Okay. Now, for someone who may have bought Facebook at the opening, mm-hmm. or even at the IPO price, I don't remember what the IPO price was at thirty uh, something. It was thirty, 30 plus thirty-five. 30. Too high. They're not laughing, right? <laughs> unless you turned it over real quick. Yeah, and um, within hours. A lot of people, and our, the advice was, "What's the hurry?" And we cited the empirical studies. Uh, let me get that lady out of here. <laughs> Simon, could you get some security in here, please? Uh, oh, there she goes. Thanks. Thanks. Um, it worked. So anyway, Mike, here's, here was the point at the time. Uh, and I'm sure you were giving this advice right along with all of us in the mm-hmm. trenches. Mm-hmm. And that was, it's, 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 the studies show that buying stuff right at the, at the, at the post IPO, you didn't miss a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. the subsequent year. Mm-hmm. They tended, those stocks tended to, the IPO stocks tended to do worse than the market in general. Yeah, yeah, now, that. so far, we, we've still got some time. This has been a very short time. But it, but the fa- Facebook is down over 30% over that opening per price mm-hmm. uh, at a time when the S&P is up close to 10%. Wow, that's um, a big difference. It's a huge difference. Yeah. Now, who knows? Tomorrow, something could come out about Facebook, and it could be up 100%. Mm-hmm. But at least to this point, my point was there was no hurry, right? Yeah. You could buy it now. Yeah. 
if you wanted to buy it. We don't recommend buying it ever. Let it let it arrive into the market and become one of the components of a broadly diversified portfolio, maybe an index fund, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And you will own it. And if it continues to do well in a cap weighted or capital weighted index, it will it will become more and more of that particular market share and earn its right in your portfolio is the way I think about it. Yeah. It has to earn the right to be there, Mike. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just automatically get it because you spend most of your work day typing on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> when I, I saw a statistic, and I, I, I don't have it here in front of me, so uh, <laughs> don't quote me on this, but uh, 60 to 70% of IPOs are below their IPO price one year later. Well, let's see what's in the mail. <laughs> so you were comparing it versus the market, which is one way to compare it, but just to your point is what's the rush if 60 to 70 percent of them are below their issuing price i would say if if i had the choice of buying every ipo at its ipo price or every ipo one year later those statistics which you know were very evidence-based here at empirical i'd go with one year later yeah so just that if you if you listen to this part of the program and you took that little nugget of advice and never turned it on uh you didn't pay us for it by the way (laughs) You I got a check. <laughs> well, I, I... <laughs> if you want to send in checks, um, no, we can't do that. Uh, we'll get in a big trouble. <laughs> Don't send anybody anything. <laughs> but if you do want to send us an email, shoot one to contact <laughs> at empiradio.com. That's contact at empiradio. And we are live here in the Empirical Tower in Seattle. Um, the empirical tower being being the uh, Mike's office, um, <laughs> but but uh, hey, hey, now it's turned into a jungle. Here. It's a real zoo, Mike. Um, but anyway, you that that my point was that that would be advice that you could hang on to for for less rest of your life until we find data that contradicts that. Yeah. Where I see investors fall into those traps over and over and over, and they make the same mistake mm-hmm. over and over again. And if they happen to make money one time, they think that that's the end-all, be-all strategy to use. The danger with that is, is you do have some success if you happen to be, because not every IPO goes down, right? There would sure. nobody would do it if that's what happened. Sure. Um, there are a few that do shoot right up and beat the market, particularly during the. You know, if we think about the technology boom, yeah. right? Stuff was IPO and just going crazy. Yep. Um, so the problem that I saw where people lost their money and wound up significantly underperforming the market is the more that happened, the more confidence they got. They didn't mm-hmm. re- recognize their market history or understand the statistics and that something wasn't right about that. And so, um, again, it, we talked the other night, Mike, about the casino and how the odds are stacked against you. Yeah. It would be the equivalent of you win a hand, and every time you do, you double or triple the size of your bet. Well, in the long run, the statistics are against you. Mm-hmm. So that may not always work out. You, you, the more hands you win, the larger you, you, know, you bet until pretty soon you're betting your entire stack. Yeah. And eventually the odds are going to get you. Yeah, um, every time. And we saw that. We've seen that in a variety of areas. So... I just wanted to comment on that, and we'll get back to the general market here. Can I share one yeah. little story about Facebook? Please do. So uh, a close friend of mine who's an orthopedic surgeon in California, very smart guy, uh, bought some Facebook, actually not on the IPO, but about a month ago. 
uh, and it's always interesting to, to me to hear the rationale for different investments that people have. And I, I really find that when someone's hot on an investment, they put their blinders up to almost anything else. And I think it's just um, the behavioral finance, uh, but behavioral psychology of investing that, that often leads to bad decisions. And I, I don't think there's any evidence that I could show him that that was a bad decision. Uh-huh. And every uh, ev- all the evidence that he has, it, he's very um, attached to the, the reasons why to own it. And uh, I think, you know, so far he's wrong. And, uh, I, you know, it's not that I hope he, he doesn't make money, but I, I just so disagree with the idea of owning, putting putting all your chips on one stock or one manager, which we might talk about here in a little bit. And I would add to that, how do you combat that then, Mike? And my I suggestion would be that you map out your investment process when you don't have an investment idea in front of mm-hmm. you. Right, because once you're emotional, it's like it's like trying to figure out how much you're willing to spend for a car when you're already at the dealership test mm-hmm. driving the most expensive car they mm-hmm. have. I was using that last week, the car analogy. I like it, but because um, it's or an it's emotional like, decision, right? Well, it's like being rational when you're playing blackjack. I mean, it's the same concept where it's very hard to use logic in in a heated moment. Well, and most most of us would agree that you probably shouldn't. If you're making serious money decisions, you shouldn't be have impaired um, cognizance, right? You shouldn't. Mm-hmm. If, what does alcohol do do to a person while they're making gambling decisions, right? Right. If you're really serious about it, you probably shouldn't be doing that. Well, emotion has the same euphoric and uh, intoxicating uh, effect as alcohol or a drug or something mm-hmm. you know and so it, what one of the things you want to do is try to say hey i realize that i don't i don't want to be in an emotional frenzied state right when i'm trying to lay policy down that's going to affect my life savings definitely i want to be making policy decisions when i'm calm and cool and not only that but i read in a behavioral or uh, investor psychology book that even if it's not you're 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 upset or you're extremely happy about something that has nothing to do with financial stuff, and then you go into a financial decision, it actually affects the decision you will make. Yeah, I believe it. So if if you something you got a job promotion, something that you know maybe it's I want it to be non financial. My analogy. Oh, but um, you fell in love. Yeah, let's say a guy like you, Mike. <laughs> 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 or you had a baby, right? <laughs> Depending on how you take all that. But yeah, so, and then you go in and make a decision. If you were in a happy state, you mm-hmm. tended to take more risk. Mm-hmm. You, down, you, you downplayed the risk. If you were in a depressed state, mm-hmm. people tended to be risk adverse. Gotcha. Um, I believe and, that. And how do, you, how do you solve that? You recognize it, and then you say, I'm not going to allow myself to make investment decisions or financial decisions or IPO decisions, right? Because, like you said, it doesn't matter how much evidence we present. Once someone's in a in an, in an elevated state of emotion, it's very hard to get them off the cliff of making that decision. Uh-huh. Even when we know it's bad, and we have we can roll in um, streams of evidence, right, yeah. and support for this, it's very very difficult. But most of the time, if they're reasonable and they're rational, and you talk to them in a state of calm. They would agree to things like it doesn't make sense to put a lot of money in a single stock, and yeah. here's why. Well, because they're not attached to that stock. Yeah, there is no stock it. to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Oops. So 
Well, ironically, with right. with this gentleman, with this friend, he'd already uh, hit it this big. This amigo. This amigo. As it were. He already hit it big and lost it all once before. <laughs> oh, really? So, um, you know, I reminded him of that, but then it's always, this time it's different. Well, that's another one, right? It's always different when we want to do something that we shouldn't do. Yeah. It's how else will we convince ourselves to do it? So the market was up 211 points. Doesn't mean anything. You'd be down 200 tomorrow. Uh Um, But it is. It's uh, 12,887. And we're up, the Dow's up about 3% over the last 12 months. And now that puts the SP 500 up about 2% over the last 12 months. Interest rates real quick, Mike, and we're going to have to take a break, and we'll come back in on, on some of this other uh, stuff. But interest rates are still extremely low. A 10-year treasury at 1.43. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, um, that's actually down from last week, which we were at about one and a half. If you look at the 30-year mortgage rate at 3.55 on average. It's incredible. Let's take a quick break, okay. and uh, we'll come back with Empirical Investing Radio. Can't wait. Mike and Ken. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm my name is simon Liu, portfolio manager with empirical wealth management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307 that's 1-800-923-4307 or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Welcome back. This is Michael Van Sant stepping in for Ethan Broder while he's on a luxurious vacation. With he deserves me, it. He with, deserves it. With me, uh, CEO of Empirical, Ken Smith. Once again, our contact information, 866-472-5790. We'd love to hear from you. And our email address is contact at com. That's contact at E-M-P-I-R-A-D-I-O.com. Right on, Mike. We'll go into the break here. We were just kind of going over the current market uh, rates, actually. And uh, I was commenting on how at 3.55% on a 30-year mortgage is the average here from Bloomberg. We guys, where we get this data? Right mm-hmm. off their website. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, that's just phenomenal. When in, in your life have you seen a 30-year mortgage at 3.55%? Today. So last week we were started to talk about mortgages a little mm-hmm. bit, and uh, maybe in the next sh- few shows I'd like to get back to that. Okay. But I do think uh, if you um, – I'm not a mortgage broker. We don't sell mortgages here. That's not our thing. But if you were going to buy a house, right, uh, and you think about inflation, and when you are borrowing money, uh, and I'm not a big fan of having a lot of commercial debt mm-hmm. per se, but mm-hmm. while the tax – benefits of a mortgage do exist there's some merit to the idea that if you're paying rent somewhere mm-hmm. you're not deducting any of that payment mm-hmm. uh, and to the degree you can qualify to deduct your your interest that reduces the after-tax cost of that interest rate even lower right definitely so now you're down to something maybe even below three percent um i didn't bring my calculator in here but if you were in a 35% bracket, a guy like you, Mike, <laughs> <laughs> or Simon, you know, you guys are, are very uh, financially sound. But uh, it, it really reduces that rate down. And if you think that we would have, for example, we've had low inflation currently. But if you look over the last 40-some years, it's been around 4% a year. So a lot of times financial uh, professional site, the long, long-term long average, which is around 3%. Mm-hmm. But over the last 40-some years, it's been around 4%. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I'm saying then is that's a real uh, rate that is extremely low. You know, if, if, you, if you figure out what that... It drops almost a full percent off of the... So now you're down to 2.55 yeah. on an inflation-adjusted basis. The cost of that on a after tax. I'm sorry, after tax. Yeah, 2.55. Yeah. So on an inflation-adjusted basis, it's it's interesting because uh, theoretically our wages right should be going up with inflation. If we have three four percent inflation, the cost of that loan becomes even cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're the debt, when you're the debt debt debtor uh, or debt e on this, you're borrowing the money. Mm-hmm. Get those backwards sometimes. So anyway, I I don't know. I mean, it, I know a lot of people were getting flustered with the market and paying off their mortgages. Yeah, I think that still happens uh, too. And I think that's a very personal decision and one in which there's a lot of uh, emotion that we were just mm. talking about mm-hmm. in psychology. 
But and it, and it, and it, and these opportunities usually present themselves when we are at an emotional state where it's very tough to do to go against the grain. What everyone's doing, mm-hmm. what everyone's been doing, is paying down debt, according to the, some of the yeah. statistics I've heard over the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, which is great. It is great, particularly if it's consumer debt, mm-hmm. credit cards, and you know, auto payments, depreciating assets, both pay that stuff off. The one area that I I don't I'd love to get your opinion real quick, Mike, and then we'll move back on to the other stuff. But the one area where, as a financial advisor, and all my experience, that I still see some merit um, is your particularly while there is a tax break, and if they get rid of that, then I would probably reconsider this. But even then, right now at the at the rate we are, if you think out thirty years, uh-huh. if you were going to own a home or buy a home, uh-huh. um, I certainly wouldn't be doing like a fifteen year mortgage. I wouldn't be doing a variable one. You know, or an interest-only deal for, the, uh-huh. for five years, and then it goes very. Would not be my. And again, I'm not a mortgage professional. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm, I'm just a guy here trying to <laughs> help you make some decisions or put some things into a paradigm. Uh-huh. Uh, so, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I agree with you. I think uh, uh, I'm I'm all for reducing debt in general, uh, and I think just like you said, there's some debt that's should be reduced quicker than others. The very last debt I would reduce is my mortgage debt. And, and I, you know, I, I do compare three and a half percent, uh, mortgage versus I compare it to long-term rates of return that my money can be earning. And even in this tough decade that we've, uh, experienced, the empirical portfolios have done quite well over the last 10 years. So, and, and if you compare it to a 20 or 30 or 40 year portfolio, the, the decision becomes more obvious. That said, is I, I've become more aware of the psychological benefit of right. paying off debt. Right. But I, I just try to really separate those two decisions and say, all right, here's, here's the, the numbers of the trade-off of paying off mortgage debt versus uh, letting it grow in a globally diversified portfolio. Let's handle that. And then how much, how much psychological benefit would you get by having a reduced mortgage and and see if that weighs in at all. I try to separate it out. And I, I think it's critical that we point out when we talk about looking at 30 or 40, you know, say 30 year returns, because that's what we're talking about on a mortgage. We have the statistics. Uh, I have a calculator that we built that shows you different types of portfolios. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the worst returns over varying periods of time? So in any one year, for example, in all equity, even if it's globally diversified, mm-hmm. passively managed the way we would do it, it could be down between 45 and 50% mm-hmm. if we count the worst single time in our recent history, right? Right. We go back to the Depression and we said, hey, all we most people had back then were U.S. stock portfolios. Mm-hmm. It'd be down 60, 70, or in small cap, 80%, right? Mm-hmm. That's 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 a lot of risk over a reasonably short period of time. Now yep. the risk of having a loss over a thirty-year period of time diminishes significantly mm-hmm. if we believe that global markets, as a entire basket, will survive. Not will definitely have certain markets go out, sure. right, disappear. Very critical that in order for this to work, that you know what you're doing. And where I get frustrated is where a stockbroker, for example, sits down with a client says, hey, let's lever up. You should set it, your house is paid off. What you should be doing is financing it to the hill. Let's take that 
half a million bucks and dump it into this brokerage account, which I'm going to churn you out of quickly as Mm -hmm. I can. Mm -hmm. And what I'm going to do is be rolling you into IPO stocks, which we just talked about as a bad idea, Mm -hmm. and tech stocks or whatever the stock flavor of the day is, or if it's now, it's going to be structured products or hedge funds. Annuities. Annuities. Equity. um, Equity equity linked CDs. So... It, it I it's hard for me sometimes I get frustrated because you to give sound advice uh-huh. because people misuse it and abuse it and then the media twists everything around and no in order to have any confidence for me personally that if I put kept the mortgage on my house or bought a house with the mortgage on it rather than pay it off I need to have the proper investment strategy that gives me the greatest probability of actually realizing superior returns. Uh-huh. And that leads me to our next part of our discussion. You like that, don't you? Nice segue. Um, Yeah, yeah. So what I wanted to talk about, Mike, get rid of that market update there, uh, is this article. And, again, we could spend all day reading the current news events, but it doesn't really teach you how to make smarter investment decisions. We already talked about one with with the way we approached that Facebook IPO. But I want to talk about something, and that is why why I, I am not a big fan, at least right now in history, and I'm open to change my mind as evidence is presented. Mm-hmm. You show me the evidence, Mike, and uh, and show me that it's independent analysis, and I will have to change my mind. Yeah, that's the commitment we made. Yeah. But until then, um, all I can do is try to to figure out what's the most practical real-life strategy to get people to where they want to go. And most people want to develop some level of financial independence. Uh That should be the purpose of investing, preserving their capital from the erosion that inflation does year after year, like a termite nibbling away at Mike's luxury home. (laughs) (laughs) My huge log cabin. Uh, His log cabin. Um, I'm kidding. You don't have a luxury home. But it's very nice. Thanks. Well, not in a lavish kind of crazy way. (laughs) Oh, is that me? Um, So anyway, that should be your purpose. The primary purpose of investing in in stock capital markets and even bond capital markets should not be to turn $1,000 into over the next year I'm going to be a millionaire. Mm -hmm. I'm going to trade my way into success, and that's how I'm going to become you know, the next Warren Buffett or um, who's the big real estate guy? Donald Trump. Donald Trump, right. Um, those are very calculated uh, things that go on over lifetimes and many, many. It's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. It's not how you should approach your investments. But most people don't start with, what am I actually trying to accomplish here? No doubt. What am I doing here? And they agree to a game that is rigged against them. Mm-hmm. The way they're default. playing it. Right. And so one of the things I've said historically that for whatever reason i don't see a lot of other people saying but to me makes a lot of sense is whoever agreed that beating the market was the strategy required to be a successful investor right right everything you would see about why you would own stocks for example is well stocks have beat all these other asset classes but never in any of the material of all the credentials and things i've gone through do they say well stocks have been the best performing asset class if you can if you can tolerate the risk only if you hire the right person to beat the market. Right. They never say that. Right. The guys who are selling these ridiculous strategies don't even say that. Right. They present stock market returns 
as a reason for owning stocks. Then they go on to assume, in, in my view, uh, incorrectly, incorrectly, or just un, in an uneducated way, that the only way they can add value in the equation is by trying to sell you something or peddle you into something that gives you the illusion of market beating results mm-hmm. in which that you purportedly need to be successful. Right. It's a faulty logic. It's faulty logic, and it defies the nature of the mathematics of the market. But it goes right along with the behavioral psychology that investors have. Yes, it does. Scratches them right where they're itching, proverbially. (laughs) (sighs) So the article is, uh, we'll start it, and then maybe I can start reading it next. We've got some time. And then we come in for the last segment. I want to tie this into... Why, if you if you pay attention to this and you apply it, you'll increase your investment results dramatically over your lifetime. That, that's my opinion. I agree. But with it that. happens to be backed by the empirical data. Yeah. Uh, speaking of empirical, if you want to give us a call <laughs> <laughs> on the show, it's eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. Join in live with your comments. Operators are standing by. <laughs> a whole team of them. So, here it is. It's the Financial Advisor News, Mike, and I'll try to read through this quickly. Hebner at bottom for fourth year in five sticks to bet on U.S. So, uh, Bloomberg News. Kenneth Hebner ranked as America's number one. That's UNO, Mike. I know you got a Mexico trip planned here soon. Um, if you don't, you should. He was a number one stock picker before losing his touch, and most of his main fund's assets... The seventy year, the seventy one year old manager at the bottom of his peer group for the fourth year in five hasn't lost his swagger though, Mike. He's still swaggering all over the place. I've seen him around town. He's swaggering you right out of your money. (laughs) (laughs) But he's probably made a pretty good uh, amount by now because he was a co-founder of the CGM. We'll get back to that. Stay tuned for that. Hebner, whose CGM-focused fund topped all diversified U.S. stock mutual funds in the decade through 2007, lost an annual average of 6.3% in the five years through June 26, trailing 96, that's a whopping 96% of the same group, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. CGM focus has been in the bottom 6% of large cap growth category every year since 2008, with the exception of 2010 when it beat 66% of its peers. Most people think this is the worst time in the world to be optimistic, but my portfolio is positioned for strength in the United States, Hebner said in a telephone interview from his Boston, luxurious Boston office. <laughs> I am functioning in a contrarian mode. Most people are trying to make money. He's doing a good job of losing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great contrarian mode. I'm just kidding. Um, where was I, Mike? Okay, uh, with the U.S. economy expanding at 2.4% per quarter, I don't want to read his view here because it's not really the point. Um, the star of the early 80s and the mid-90s, Hebner has bounced back before after missing out on the 88, 1998 through 99 tech stock surge, this time with central banks across the world running out of tools to revive their economies and governments Forced to reduce spending, some analysts are questioning how long you can be a contrarian before you're wrong. Extreme performance. Uh, so a lot of people disagree with his view that, um, you know, 
the U.S. is going to be a great place to be. And mm-hmm. so he's the contrarian because he's positive. Con- Hebner considers himself a spotter of investment themes as well as a stock picker. The manager had 21% of his fund in banks and 12% in airlines at the end of the first quarter, according to his regulatory filing. Hebner owned 4.3 million shares of Citigroup. Um, he owned Delta Airlines and uh, some other stuff. With a strategy <laughs> that bold, it, it with a strategy that bold, it is a given. You are going to have some extreme performance. Now, I'm just going to pause for my. I read into this uh, Morning Star review report. He can sell short. Oh well. And he will do so. And one of the mistakes he did make. Um, well, let's continue my hero. So the next part is my hero. In 2000, 2001, he profited by betting against tech stocks as the NASDAQ index crashed. He began buying home builders uh, ahead of the multi-year run-up in home prices. By the start of 2005, seven months before they peaked, he sold them and moved into energy and commodity companies. So it seems like he could do no wrong, right? He was on fire. Fuego. Yeah, fuego everywhere. But I want to be more like Ken Hebner. He's my hero. William Danoff, manager of the $79 billion Fidelity Contra Fund, was singing. Wow. Uh, he said in September 2008, interview with Kiplinger's Personal Finance Magazine, in which he described his rival's performance as staggering. By then, Hebner's slide had begun. In 2008, CGM lost 48% as the global recession hurt commodity prices, and a move into beaten-down financial stocks proved to be premature. I'll say. Hebner sold his insurance stocks in the first quarter of 2009 at a loss. Um, so here it says after Hebner slumped in 2011 um, when the holdings he had didn't work out. So it kind of, we got to take a quick break. We'll come back. And I promise I'll try to get to the point of this uh, <laughs> Hebner situation. Let's get to the bottom of we'll it. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific. 
Pacific Time here on voiceamerica.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Welcome back. Ethan's on vacation, and this is Michael Van Sant sitting in for him with Ken Smith, CEO of Empirical Wealth Management. One more time on that contact information because the phone lines are starting to heat up. It's 866-472-5790 or contact at empireradio.com, E-M-P-I-R-A-D-I-O.com. Ken, let's get back to uh, the CGM Focus Fund. So CGM Focus, we're talking about Ken Hebner and how he was this great, phenomenal manager $79 billion Fidelity Fund Manager was saying, this guy's my hero. If I could only be like him, I'd sell my soul to the devil. I say that about you quite often. Well, let's not be ridiculous. <laughs> let's not be ridiculous. But um, you know what I'm saying. I do. I hear All you. Right? Um, so anyway, he it says, uh, Heemner's decision to sell short 10- and 30-year Treasury bonds in the first quarter went awry high when investors piled into the government debt as a safe haven. In a short sale, the investor borrows and sells assets with the goal of buying it back later for less and pocketing the difference. Mm -hmm. So now he made some very poor stock market decisions with some of the selections and moves he made, but then he also decided to bet against um, Treasury. Treasury's going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he sold them short. Yeah, ouch. Um, And a lot of those guys got clobbered. Doing that, mm-hmm. and some of the brightest was it Bill Gross. Was another? Um, was he the one? The he? Yeah, he was wrong. He's like one of the most famous bond managers well, ever. Well, he's he's been wrong for over a decade. So I don't. He, he's been saying interest rates are going to go up over the last ten years. Yeah. So eventually they'll get it right. Sure. Right. And sure. there's no. They're not much further. We can go down from here. Right. Well, even a, even a, a broken clock tells the right time twice a day. I like what you're saying. Tell me about it. So miserable time. I would have done better if I had been more defensive. Hebner said. Mm-hmm. Hebner has uh, had a miserable time finding themes that work since the year 2008. Said the uh, an analyst with Lipper. You would hope a manager has some idea of what is coming around the corner. <laughs> so there's flaw number one. Mm-hmm. I want to get back to when we okay. get those. Um, cause guys that are actually really, really thinking that I can't see a good reason to get into this fund. So now there's no good reason. There was a great reason at the peak of the funds, 10 year performance history. Now that it, it hasn't been doing so well, it's the same guy though, pulling yeah. the string. Yeah. Suddenly he's, I can't see why I would get in. So it was the best idea at the top and the worst idea at the bottom. And we're going to talk about this for okay. a second. Uh, Hebner isn't the only prominent manager to suffer a setback. Leg Mason's Bill Miller, who beat the uh, market for an unprecedented 15 years, um, trailed the U.S. benchmark in five of the next six, and then he stepped down on April 30. So, long story short here, uh, by the way, Mike, I want to get to this. His, um, so the fund dropped, it, it was up, they say it was up to like 10 billion in assets, and now it's one, uh, oh, let's see what it is here. Hold on, let me get back to the. 
It's got 496% turnover, by the Whoa. way. Whoa. Um, it's incredibly concentrated. Oh. Uh, it only holds a few stocks. How it much? can short sell things, um, and it can change style pretty quickly. Um, Boy, it just does about everything wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if it always does everything wrong, but in terms of would we buy it? Well, I mean, does everything yeah. against our belief system about okay. the market? Yeah. High turnover, lack of diversification, going long and short. Okay, here it was. The fund's assets plunged to $1.9 billion uh, from the peak in, in, uh, of $10.3 hit $10.3 billion. And I pulled up the Morningstar report, and, I, and this is where we get into, and then I want to ask you for your thoughts on this, but I sure. wanted to make a couple of points. And one of them was after the fund had done phenomenal, so that it had its peak record, right? It turned in its stellar 10-year performance going into the end of 2007. Um, at that point, now according to Morningstar here, the net U.S. Uh, dollars in it was $5.6 billion. But maybe they're taking that at one point in time at the end of the year, and these guys are taking it on a monthly, yeah, from the high water mark. But uh, at just the year before, it was two point two billion in assets. Wow. The year before that, I mean, if we go back to two thousand two, it was three hundred eighty five million. So the fund was growing far beyond what you know what what would have been normal just market, market rates of return. Uh, to get to this this phenomenal amount of assets now now the fund's down to and, and according to the Morningstar data here it's 1.5 billion which that does line up uh, pretty close so when did the money go in and out of the fund right mm-hmm. well the greatest fund the amount of money that investors had in that fund ever in the history of the fund was at the peak within the year it hit the peak yep they were buying the previous 10 years of performance yep. What did they get delivered, though? Ooh, good question. They got delivered something on a steaming plate, <laughs> right? Well, the plate, something on a plate that was steaming. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe they heated the plate before <laughs> before they handed it out. I don't know. But that happens over and over again. We see that in the mm-hmm. data constantly. Definitely. Yet people continue. And, it, and what you should be doing is not just thinking, well, it's because he screwed up. After having this 30 plus year career of doing very well, by the way, and he still has done well in some of the other, I think he has a couple of funds. Um, but where we as investors make mistakes is believing that this is the best way to capital, uh, to capture capital market returns mm-hmm. and to build a successful retirement. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why would money flood in? And Morningstar themselves now gives it a one star rating. What do you think the rating was in 2008? My guess is it was a five-star. You better believe it. You, you bet. bet your britches. Uh-huh. So look, you're relying on the rating company to tell you whether to buy the fund or not. Uh-huh. Well, in 2008, it had a five-star rating, and I even have a little article here. So are, are their ratings forward-looking or backwards-looking? Are they telling you what's going to happen in the future, or are they reporting what happened in the past? They are reporting on what happened in the past, but trying to put some slants on it to make it look like they're considering the future. Mm-hmm. But in the end, those it, ratings it are based on, yeah. uh, have to be based on what's gone on in the past. Um, they don't hand out five-star ratings for funds that have zero track records with the idea that we just trust this guy, so here's five stars, mm-hmm. you should buy the fund, and we'll see what happens. 
Um, so I, I had just looked up. It was just interesting because um, uh, CGM Focus ranked third in Lipper listings. This is from nineteen uh, or two thousand eight. Uh, is given a five star rating by Morningstar, which says the large cap blend fund has some five point five billion in assets and a one point zero two percent expense ratio. Its five-year average trailing returns are close to 36%, and it performed other, outperformed other funds in its category last year by nearly 74%. Um, so that, that was printed on uh, February 1 of 2008. So that was their rating. That was, that was what they were saying. It was, he was being interviewed in all these magazines, yeah. other professionals are heralding him and what did you get for that uh you were already putting your money in in a very high water market the market overall the stock market overall but you were giving it to someone that was going to perform even worse than the stock market and now what do you think people where did the if, if it then, was 10.9 billion mike and now it's one and a half where did that all those billions of dollars go well a lot of it was lost to poor performance, and then after people had poor performance, they took their money out and probably paid off their mortgage, their 3.5% mortgage. Or maybe they're chasing another who the current best manager is yeah. that has the last 10 years of yeah. track or has done well since 2008. Well, I think both of those uh, occurs that I think uh, people will equate his performance to the market, right? Back to your point, hey, wouldn't be nice just to get market-type performance, but uh, I think some people get, uh, have bad experiences with an, an, a certain investment advisor or a mutual fund or a stockbroker, and they equate that, that experience to the markets. And, and usually the, you know, the markets can be challenging enough in, in the recession of 2007 through nine. but uh, to have horrible investment advice making it even worse, I can understand why they'd be scared away. So... Here's something that I mentioned in one of our recent shows. The, the fee on this fund is over 1%. Mm -hmm. Do you follow me? I do. The asset class, so it's 1.05. It says net, net expense or ratio. Um, the asset class that, that he is typically buying stocks in is a large U.S. stocks. Definitely. Um, now, because he can bounce around, it, is a, it gets a little weird there. But if if you look at his style history for the last 10 years, it's bounced around the large cap area. Mm -hmm. And he's buying, say, 20 to 40 stocks. Um, they, that's it? 20 to 40? Yeah, I think that's it. Wow. Uh, that's he, just, very concentrated. That's ridiculous. Portfolio. And the Morningstar reviewer talks about, you know, now they're really down on him and blah, 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 and we don't really know if he's going to be able to do this. And But my point is this. The asset class that we use in there, the funds that we use in that category that he's underperforming, by the way, mm -hmm. for the for the greatest amount of, uh, where the greatest amount of time, where the greatest amount of money has been in the fund I don't really care when there's only $10 in the fund that it beat the market for the last 20 years. Right. Uh, nobody really got to appreciate that, right? Yeah, yeah. Most people buy that, but by the time where most of the dollars get invested, that's when they get the underperformance. Yep. It's the dollar-weighted return. I was going to talk about dollar-weighted yeah. return. Yeah, you'd be dollar-weighted. Um, oh, we only have two minutes, Mike. Okay. 
So I'll let you, uh, what my point, let me finish this point. I'll let okay. you finish it up. The point was, where are we using a fund where the expense ratio is less than 10 basis points? That's ma- a tenth of a percent, right? Right. The max, which we guaranteed, well, well I'm not guaranteeing anything. <laughs> but I can guarantee you that the last 10 years, right, the fund in that category captured the asset class return. Mm-hmm. So you got what you paid for. Yeah. For my, but we charge a maximum as in the type of advisor we are. It's 1%. It's our manager. So you got all the planning, everything we do, and you captured the asset class return for that. We're just focusing on that large cap area. Are you saying better results for less less money? Right. That I seems mean, like a, a no-brainer. Why would you pay someone that you never get to talk to Yeah. who is all – you have no idea where he's invested yeah. at any one point Taking in time. Taking too much risk. I mean – his returns were horrible, and he did it with far more risk than uh, a very low-cost, passively managed portfolio that, that we have. And if you're unlucky enough to have it in a taxable account, you had to give a lot of your horrible returns back to the tax man. Yeah, because if you look at the 10-year performance, the fund has still done okay, but mm-hmm. it's reduced pretty heavily by the, because of the high turnover. Yeah. What other points did you have in the last minute or two here? Well, I, I was just wondering, when I, when I think about it... It wasn't meant to... Uh, to, I know we were just drilling him specifically. That's mm-hmm. not my point. And mm-hmm. it's not about hiring us instead of them. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's about helping. It's the strategy is flawed. Yeah. yeah. And it's repeated over and over and over by inv- investors. It's not fire Ken Hebner and go find another active no. stock picker. That's no. not what we're saying at all. No. What's our time left? Like a minute or okay. less. Yeah. I, when I think of a, any active manager in a, in a story like this, a couple points. I think of how much of their... Good returns are skill versus luck, and I think that's always uh, a matter of uh, debate. Uh, I look at the diversification that he has, and, and by knowing only 20 to 40 stocks or under 50 stocks, how much more risk is involved there. Uh, I think about risk-adjusted return, the volatility. I think how with having such a concentrated portfolio, you're, you're, you have so much more volatility, and knowing how investors react, even if he has good performance over the long term, a lot of investors won't be there to enjoy it because of that increased volatility. And uh, I think we should talk a little bit more about uh, time-weighted returns versus dollar-weighted returns because we work with uh, fund companies that kind of have a, a different perspective. Well, maybe we can talk about that next week, Mike. Sounds fun. I hear the music playing, and I'm about to uh, shoot on out of here. All right. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in Empirical Investing Radio. We hope you uh, enjoyed the show and got a little bit of insight that you can apply. Please join us again next week. Thanks so much. you've enjoyed empirical investing radio with ken smith and ethan broga please join us again next thursday afternoon at 5 p.m eastern time and 2 p.m pacific time on the voice america business channel and for more information about empirical investing radio please call 800-923-4307 we'll see you next week